Welcome back to The Peripheral. First, I want to thank everyone for all the wonderful and kind feedback from the last episode. It was definitely an emotional one for me. I've received so many kind messages and comments. It is a little sad to hear that so many others have gone through a similar situation. On today's episode, my guest is going to talk about what it's like having a family member who is struggling with delusional parasitosis. For those of you that don't know, this is a mental condition where a person feels or sees insects or worms crawling under their skin or on their skin. This can lead to self-mutilation and permanent disfigurement. The intention of this episode is to try to educate and even inquire for help or suggestions from listeners if they've ever had to care for an adult family member suffering with delusions or any kind of extreme mental impairment and how to lead them to help without overstepping. So with that, here's tonight's episode. All right. So why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself? Sure. Uh, Thanks again, Justin. My name is Carla, and the reason that we are talking today is because I have a loved one, my sibling, who is suffering from a pretty rare delusional disorder, and our family has been struggling, trying to figure out a way to help her get the treatment that she needs and the resources that she needs. Yeah, and I know that there's a lot of a lot of people out there that have family members that are struggling with something and it's really hard to know how to respond and react. So uh, I don't know, I'm supposed to ask people how old they are, but how old are you and how long has this been going on for? Yeah, sure. No problem. Um, I'm 39. My sister is 40. Mm-hmm. And this has been going on, I mean, at least in a detectable sense. For her for about five or six years now um, with episodes occurring you know maybe once a year but then severe episodes occur maybe once every two years how was your family dy- dynamic prior to six seven years ago and how did this come on that's a great question um so my sister she's married and she i you know i love my brother-in-law to death he's incredibly supportive mm-hmm. it started with you know let me back up so my parents you know and like we all have a close family relationship mm-hmm. my parents are divorced but we all have a good relationship there are really no like problems within the family and my brother-in-law and my sister have been married for i six or seven years now and um he's he is definitely bearing the brunt of the stress involved with this situation so the first episode that i remember happening like in a severe sense was in i think 2019 and for my sister it manifested in her believing that she had bugs flies worms coming out of her skin and it turned into her kind of self-mutilating to try to eradicate herself of these, you know, bugs, which she would always try to get somebody to um, be a visual witness, but, you know, nobody could see them because they don't exist. And the... Oh, are you talking about delusional 
parasitosis. Yeah. Yeah, delusion, yeah, yeah. Delusional parasitosis is what's yeah. common, as what that's commonly referred to as. Right. Growing up, teenagers, 20s, she didn't I- exhibit any of this? No. Maybe I have no idea, you know, like when this started or maybe there were some ways that it manifested early on, but nothing, nothing like what's happened within, you know, the last five or six years. And so you said 2019, was this prior to the pandemic? It was. Yeah, actually, it was like the summer before it's and the first episode that I noticed that was really severe. It lasted for, you know, six months or so. It was, yeah, pretty it was pretty bad and really, you know, stressful for our whole family, you know, especially stressful for my brother-in-law. Um, so her husband was, I'm assuming everything seemed to be relatively normal. And then this comes out. Uh, what was his response? Well, you know, obviously their husband and wife, they live together. And so my sister, she she starts kind of projecting her delusions onto the people that she's around. And that includes the dog that they have together. So my sister would try to convince my brother-in-law that he also had parasites. And then she would take her dog to the vet, telling her vet that the dog had parasites too. And so then my sister uses, you know, she's got like, a whole bunch of like home remedies or whatever that she's researched about, you know, sprinkling their whole, you know, home with salt or diffusing tea tree oil over everything. And she thinks, you know, that's going to help. And so that's the home that my brother-in-law is living in currently. That's what's going on right now, actually. Yeah. And it's home remedies, you know, because they're not going to use chemicals or something that, Right. Uh, And doctors just don't understand. Yeah. um, My sister, she's, you know, she also, another thing that she does is like doctor shopping, just going from doctor to doctor, just waiting for somebody to validate that, you know, she's correct and that she actually does have this parasitic infestation. So when this first started happening, I'm sure there was a a time where you probably took her seriously and probably thought there was something going on. You weren't sure what, but that was, I guess, did it take weeks or was it just a snap overnight? Uh, how quickly did it become apparent that this wasn't something actually happening? Well, you know, whether it's a delusion or not, I mean, it is something happening, you know, yeah. for her and her mind you know it is happening and it's affecting her physically and mentally and i think from what i've witnessed um the episodes kind of start with her just becoming a little bit more obsessive over you know everything and then it leads into her like you know staring at her face in the mirror you know like with a magnifier and then she'll do that for a little while and then after that, then it becomes where, where she's trying to, you know, get other people involved, asking them if they can see what she sees too. So to answer your question, sometimes, you know, she might do a lot of like those first steps in private. And then, you know, nobody would really know it was going on until she started going into the phase where she's asking people to kind of confirm what she believes is true. Yeah. And with each of these 
I don't know, episodes. Yeah. Uh, have they gotten progressively worse or are they just some are more than others? And did the pandemic amplify any of this? I'm not, you know, that's a great question. So this last, this last episode that's currently going on now has been, it's been bad. I don't know if the pandemic had anything to do with it. I'm sure it did. I mean, it affected everybody's mental health to some extent. Yeah. Um, so, but yeah, you know, and just want to make sure to state that my sister has not ever received a formal diagnosis. In 2019, she did have um, one of the doctors that she went to, a dermatologist, had the wherewithal to prescribe my sister antipsychotics. Mm-hmm. Um, so that got her out of that first major episode. But at this point now, um, it just takes the right doctor with the right message at the right time to get through to her. And unfortunately, we're not there right now. And has anyone suggested to her? Yes. And that's such a slippery slope because she just, you know, she doesn't want to hear it. She's, she's just like, in her mind, she knows that this is what's wrong with her. And the doctors that she's spoken with just aren't capable of diagnosing it properly. But yes. Um, yeah. And I've, I reached out to a, an out of state psychologist for advice on how to, um, what should I do? Like, what should my family do to talk to her about this? Um, this weekend, this upcoming weekend, my dad and I are going to actually, like we found a local support group mm-hmm. for family members um, of, you know, people going through this type of thing. And we're all just like, we don't know what to do. And that's really the problem because I think we all know what the problem is, but it's trying to convince, you know, the person, the patient, the family member, the loved one, and delivering the message to them in a way that they will receive it versus being offended by it. Yeah. And it's because you care. I mean, you're you're saying that it gets to the point where she self-mutilates? Yes. Yes. I'm assuming that's scratching or cutting. Uh, yeah, that's, yeah, exactly. Picking. Um, you know, picking, yeah, picking and, you know, applying, you know, weird combinations of who knows what to her face and her skin, which probably... It's funny, I was talking to my dad about this yesterday. She's doing so many like weird home remedies to her skin. She's getting like what looks to me like contact dermatitis. Mm-hmm. And I feel like in some ways she's probably happy that that's happening because she feels like it validates that she does actually have a skin disorder. But it's not because there are bugs in her skin. It's because she's just, you know, spending, you know, five or six hours of the day soaking in a bathtub full of, you know, who knows what she bought off Amazon type of things. Exfoliating and facial scrubs and uh, serums, uh, things that any one of them can irritate the skin, but in excess and in combinations could definitely ruin your skin. Exactly. A detective came and knocked on the door. And I said, is it Renee? And he just gave me that solemn look. It was the worst day ever. The Proof Podcast is back with a new case and a new season. 23 years ago, 18-year-old Renee Ramos went missing. Her body was later found in an empty Home Depot building on the edge of town. I don't think that they arrested the right people. It's about time somebody's trying to do something. 
She had a black eye about two weeks before she was murdered. They are involved. They definitely had her body and her backpack. You know people are going to judge you, right? Of course. They're judging me now. They've been judging me damn near my whole life. You can listen now to season two of Proof, wherever you get your podcasts. And follow along with us as we reinvestigate the murder at the warehouse. I have to ask, did you kill Renee? American Criminal is a new true crime podcast from the studio behind American Scandal and American History Tellers. Every week, you'll fall deeper into the riveting stories of the country's most clever, craven, and cruel criminals. Fraud, theft, murder, and worse. Whatever the case, whoever the criminal, you don't know the whole story until now. The debut season tackles one of the most sensational cases of the 20th century, the Menendez murders. In 1989, young Lyle and Eric Menendez brutally shot their own parents. Prosecutors and the press said it was a multi-million dollar inheritance that led two greedy rich kids to murder. But the picture-perfect facade this Hollywood family built hid troubling abuse. Could these teenagers have been driven to kill? Or was it even in self-defense? Listen now. Go to AmericanCriminal.com or search for and follow American Criminal wherever you get your podcasts. Yeah, it's a, I guess I'm, I'm just wondering how her, her husband, I guess, talks to her when she's in one of these episodes and if he ever calls you or if you ever speak with him about it. Yeah, um, I think in some, like my brother-in-law definitely can He's like the person that can make my sister the most mad, but he's also the person that can reason with her the most effectively. So she gets upset whenever he tells her a truth, like you need to speak with a psychiatrist or a mental health professional, and she will get so mad at him. But then he's the only one that can kind of reel her back in. But yes, uh, my brother-in-law is in constant communication with me and my dad and his family, you know, independently, they're supportive of him. And, you know, I, I try to encourage him to, you know, share this with his family so that he doesn't have to carry the burden alone. But then in some ways he wants to protect my sister's privacy and doesn't want to make her feel embarrassed. So. Yeah. And I, I get that. It's a, it's a very touch and go situation. And I mean, some siblings are close, but I know that my brother and sister would rarely take my advice would rarely listen to their little brother because <laughs> you know uh but people are far more uh, engaged with their significant other their spouse and will forgive their spouse way easier than they will forgive a family member <laughs> yeah you know that's really yeah that's it's a unique set of like circumstances my sister and i are we're really close in age you know we're only 15 mm -hmm. months apart we've always been close like we live in the same city we've worked together at times but you know when when she's going through this i kind of make a point to not engage in any conversations having to do with her illness instead i will just try to talk with her about you know light topics you know like reality tv or like you know, yeah. the Murdoch trial or whatever. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, you're, you're trying to give her a sense of normalcy. Yeah, exactly. You're trying to give yourself a sense of normalcy too. During the pandemic, I had a couple 
family members that uh, went down the conspiracy theory rabbit holes mm -hmm. and um, sadly I don't talk to them anymore. <laughs> that is sad. Yeah, that is sad. Um, thankfully, I think my family and I are all in the same boat of um, pragmatism. <laughs> but yeah, dealing with this stuff with my sister has been tough. And so my mom and my stepdad, they don't live here um, in the town where we live. And so I, my mom, she's like incredibly stressed about this, but she, you know, she's not like boots on the ground. So she gets, my sister might send her a text message of like a news article. And then my mom is like, well, she's okay. She seems fine. But I'm like, well, mom, have you talked to her lately? Like, she's not fine just because she sent you one text message of an article. Like she was, she didn't even say anything. She just forwarded something to you. Yeah. Yeah. Your mom never reported anything weird prior to this right so. no yeah there was really you know i don't think that there was anything to report i would say mm -hmm. you know i've read stuff online and it looks like for women like the age of 35 was about the right time for this to kind of uh -huh. you know make its uh appearance and mm -hmm. that seems to be the case for my sister so that's good to know because i with my at least my brother it was right after puberty that mm -hmm. his schizophrenia kind of kicked in then right. uh and i just assumed that that was true for everyone like i just assumed it was preteen to teens yeah. so it's that's a bit of from yeah well it's so complicated you know there are so many different ways that it can manifest and you know men and women are different and i think typically like with women you see it if it's schizophrenia, maybe like 30 years old, but then like these delusional disorders might have a little bit more nuance and they can, um, you know, they can manifest and show up later, you know, like 35 or so. So yeah, it's complicated. The brain is such a mystery. <laughs> yeah. Has it caused arguments between you and her or the family? I think it's caused, it's caused tension. You know, sometimes it's my fault because you know, I'm trying to tell my mom, like, gosh, you need to be more worried about this. But she's, you know, my mom, you know, she's everybody's got their own stuff. My mom, you know, she recently um, suffered from a really severe stroke. And so my stepdad is trying to protect her from kind of knowing more about this because he's worried about, you know, her stressing over it too much and that leading to further complications. Yeah. So, yeah, the ways that this kind of like trickles down are just like, I mean, they're almost infinite. I can just, I'm just trying to imagine Christmas or Thanksgiving or the holidays uh, and how that goes if she's in the middle of an episode. Sure. Well, so one, one pattern that I've kind of like um, identified, which is that it's this time every year when it gets bad. And I don't know why, I don't know if it has anything to do with like, you know, winter or the sun cycle or seasonal anxiety disorder yeah who knows i don't know but yeah this about we live in the south so i mean it might as well be springtime here so like yeah. early springtime is when she typically gets pretty bad so i don't know i have no idea if that's related in any way but it seems to be uh fortunately you know during the holidays if she is suffering she kind of keeps it hidden but yeah, but really, it's just mostly about like putting tension between the family members, like who's going to do what, whose responsibility is this? I think we 
a close solid family. So we all kind of understand that we all have our own roles and like we all can help, but we all get frustrated whenever we, I think we're all just like scared and we don't know what to do. And so it's easy to blame somebody, even though we, I think we all know that there's nobody to be blamed. Now that we're way into summer, you might be looking for wholesome, convenient meals to support your sunny, active days. Factor, America's number one ready-to-eat meal kit, can help you fuel up fast with flavorful and nutritious ready-to-eat meals delivered straight to your door. Treat yourself to over 34 weekly restaurant-quality options like bruschetta shrimp risotto, green goddess chicken. Uh, My personal favorite was the three-bean vegan chili, actually. It was amazing. With Factor, you can rest assured that you're making a sustainable choice. They offset over 100% of their delivery emissions and feature sustainable sourced seafood in their meals. They have all kinds of options from keto to calorie smart, vegan, and protein plus. Prepared by chefs and approved by dietitians, each meal has all the ingredients you need to stay satisfied all day long. This July, get Factor and enjoy eating well without the hassle. Ready in two minutes. No prep, no mess. And they're not kidding. A lot of these things I can just pop in the microwave and they are fantastic. Head to factormeals.com slash peripheral50 and use code peripheral50 to get 50% off. That code is peripheral50 at factormeals.com slash peripheral50 to get 50% off. And with a lot of families, it's, it's whoever steps up and whoever kind of takes the lead and then you have to communicate and ask for help when you are overwhelmed or when you can't step up yeah that's right so i mean that's why you know i know my dad and i we are staying in constant contact with you know my brother-in-law just to let him know like we support you if you feel like it's time to like because we've looked into several um options um, in the state where we live, you know, there's no like Baker Act or whatever. So you can either go to in front of a judge and, you know, plead your case and ask for a warrant to have her, you know, like involuntarily detained. Yeah. Or you can call the police and tell the responders, you know, the situation. And then you kind of just have to cross your fingers and hope that whenever they come and evaluate her, that they'll see kind of the things that you're worried about. And then they can also do like an emergency detainment or something like that yeah and it, it could be a, a psychiatric evaluation yeah um also you could try to do power of attorney but she probably yeah. wouldn't allow that yeah um, and sadly i you know i the things you said are options but for what she's suffering from i'm not sure i mean if if somebody's ranting and raving or if somebody is threatening self-harm yes yeah but if they're just delusional i'm not sure how that's going to go if the police are called or if yeah. anyone's called um not to dissuade anyone from doing that no. uh, yeah. you know i know <laughs> well yeah and justin to your point so the psychologist that i spoke with she said that should be a last resort yeah. i think the point of doing something like that would be maybe you get like a caseworker involved that could kind of keep her accountable to like going through like the steps for continuing her therapy and staying on her medication because at this point you know, at some point the delusion will break. I don't know if it's going to happen naturally or maybe she'll like happen to take some of her medicine, but it will come back. Mm-hmm. And having her 
held to some accountability might limit further destruction, you know, to her life. You know, she's loved and she has, you know, she actually owns her own business. And at this point, it kind of operates on its own. Mm-hmm. Um, but say, for example, she had to go to work. She can't work like this, you know. Yeah. So there are, she needs somebody to like, or she needs some system to help her. And it sounds like she is very high functioning. So yeah. again, that most of the time. Yeah. And I, I'm not a professional, but I've, I've done things in the past with some of my friends or a family member where when everything was good, I had them write themselves a letter mm. to them just saying, this is to to Megan and hey Megan you're doing great today and mm-hmm. blah 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 and literally spell out like these problems that you have are not real or you can overcome them whatever it is even have a video of it as a reminder but even then it's not that's not a solution <laughs> that's not that that was just something i had come up with on my own it's a good idea because mm-hmm. I didn't know what else to do. And I think yeah. it's good for people to even do that for themselves. If, you know, when you're in a good place, write yourself a note. So then when you're in a bad place, you can remind yourself, hey, you're a good person and this problem shouldn't affect you. Um, but yeah, I like that. That is a good idea. Um, I know. So I know sometimes, I know that my sister, knows that there is something wrong and she's like in the throes of like her delusion right now so she i don't think she's capable of acknowledging it at the moment but mm-hmm. when it's kind of you know like on the fringes or whatever she can say like she knows that there's something wrong and she'll even say okay i'm gonna go to this doctor and if they tell me there's nothing there then i'm gonna go see a psychiatrist or whatever yeah. but then that's at that point it's almost too late and once Maybe it's like in some ways like a defense mechanism. She's just so convinced that something is wrong that is physical and it's not mental. And she will like go to the end of the earth trying to find somebody that's going to reaffirm her belief. So I think like the solution would be finding a way to stop her while she's on the cusp. But it's going to be a long journey. You know, there's no simple solution to this, unfortunately. It's frustrating because I've watched doctors and psychiatrists and everybody misdiagnose people. Totally. Yep. My sister went to the emergency room. The doctor wrote her a a script for Doxy and advised her to go see a dermatologist, even though she was displaying obvious symptoms of like, you know, these delusions. It's just, yeah, it's disappointing. And it can be dangerous because if she actually does have an issue it might be masked or it might right. not be taken seriously because of this other problem no. yes and a lot of times while she's going through this she's almost manic and her behavior is erratic she's taking risks that she wouldn't normally take and then also you know there is like a heightened risk of like suicide for people that are going through this so there are a ton of reasons why this is concerning versus just you know what she's doing picking at her skin Mm -hmm. back to a a point you're making earlier if she's 
saying, okay, I'm going to go see this doctor. And if they say there's nothing there, then I'm going to go see a psychiatrist. Mm -hmm. It's like, you have to catch her in a sober, you know, coherent moment. And I use sober just meaning, you know, (laughs) stable. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And, and try to persuade her, them, whoever to go do these things when you have that moment, when you have that moment of clarity. Yeah. And that's the hardest part. Yeah. Because you believe that that moment of clarity is going to persist, but then the next day it's too late. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I understand your dad trying to protect your mom. I understand her husband trying to take the helm and even shield you guys from a lot of the burden because he's the husband and he feels re- the responsibility there. Well, I mean, ultimately he's the next of kin. So any major calls would have to come from him. I mean, we yeah. think. Yeah. And at least it sounds like you're on the same page. Yeah, we are. Uh, yeah. I, uh, I've been involved in a couple interventions myself and, um, they never went well. <laughs> Have you ever done an intervention with somebody who has the belief that they've got bugs living in their skin? <laughs> no, not that. I've uh, done interventions for drug abuse and interventions for parents who would enable their oh, wow. child. Wow. That's a, I've never heard of an intervention like that before, but wow. It never went well. Uh, It never had the desired outcome that we all thought it would have. Uh, So on one side, I think, how do you get through and and let somebody know that this is serious and needs to be addressed without hurting their feelings, without causing them undue harm? And it's it's an impossible task, I think. A detective came and knocked on the door. And I said, is it Renee? And he just gave me that solemn look. It was the worst day ever. The Proof Podcast is back with a new case and a new season. 23 years ago, 18-year-old Renee Ramos went missing. Her body was later found in an empty Home Depot building on the edge of town. I don't think that they arrested the right people. It's about time somebody's trying to do something. She had a black eye about two weeks before she was murdered. They are involved. They definitely had her body and her backpack. You know people are going to judge you, right? Of course. They're judging me now. They've been judging me damn near my whole life. You can listen now to season two of Proof, wherever you get your podcasts. And follow along with us as we reinvestigate the murder at the warehouse. I have to ask, did you kill Renee? American Criminal is a new true crime podcast from the studio behind American Scandal and American History Tellers. Every week, you'll fall deeper into the riveting stories of the country's most clever, craven, and cruel criminals. Fraud, theft, murder, and worse. Whatever the case, whoever the criminal, you don't know the whole story until now. The debut season tackles one of the most sensational cases of the 20th century, the Menendez murders. In 1989, young Lyle and Eric Menendez brutally shot their own parents. Prosecutors and the press said it was a multi-million dollar inheritance that led two greedy rich kids to murder. But the picture-perfect facade this Hollywood family built hid troubling abuse. Could these teenagers have been driven to kill? 
Or was it even in self-defense? Listen now. Go to AmericanCriminal.com or search for and follow American Criminal wherever you get your podcasts. You know, I think that perhaps with just, you know, a few core members of the family, you know, like I I think I mentioned that I spoke with that um, psychologist who has a little bit of um, specialization with these um, delusional disorders. She, her suggestion was to, she said, never trick the person, never try to like give them medication and their food or whatever that they don't know they're taking. Never try to take them somewhere without explaining to them what you're doing. And she said to tell the person, you know, your loved one, your sister, your family member, we're concerned about you. And this is why. And we don't know if this is going to address your your physical problem, but why don't we go together to speak with somebody that can at least help you with the associated anxiety kind of thing. So I think, I mean, that all sounds great, but it's not easy to do in reality. That's a baby step towards the real problem. And each baby step is, it can be trench warfare and you're fighting every foot for ground. (laughs) No kidding. Yeah. Because then the doctor said after that, my sister will need a full, like, psychological evaluation and then possibly like have a visit with the neurologist to do a brain scan so yeah i mean if we can i i am optimistic that she might be receptive to to your original point like a small not a full intervention like nobody that would make her feel embarrassed but people that already know like what she's going through her husband me my dad just a small group of, you know, her core kind of like internal circle. If we can just approach her and let her know that we love her and we're concerned and we just want to help. Yeah. So maybe that will help, but you know, it's going to be a long, a long journey for sure. Yeah. And I think that, that, that advice of don't ever trick them is, is really is key. Um, And, you know, you don't have to, trick anyone you can tell them exactly what's going on and usually can get people to be agreeable um as far as an intervention goes it doesn't have to be a formal intervention it can be a you know we're we're just we're just talking to you and it's touch and go see how the (laughs) initial you know the initial conversations goes and how receptive she is yeah when you make things very formal, like we're going to be here and talk about this, it's the pressure is on and people shut down. (laughs) Right. Especially if it's like, Hey, here's your friend from high school and here's somebody you haven't talked to in six months. Like that could be embarrassing. And I, you know, if I were in my sister's shoes, even if I were having a day of clarity, imagining myself going to the doctor and telling my doctor, Hey, sometimes I believe I have got worms living in my skin. I would not ever want to have that conversation and i'm sure that that's just one conversation but then accepting all the things that come along with it like you obviously have some kind of mental disorder that's i mean i'm not saying it should be but it is embarrassing and it's, it's shameful and so i can understand why she might want to delay having to come to terms with it yeah it's been going on for four years now i hope that she doesn't do permanent damage to herself because i mean it's one thing to believe something it's another thing to act upon it and she's obviously acting upon it and that's a rough one um 
because I've, I've talked to a lot of people about cutting. I've talked to a lot of people about other self-mutilation acts. Um, those things usually are not based in delusion. They're, they're based mm -hmm. in other forms. Yeah, like of, releasing something or. Yeah. I know it's a doozy, man. I never thought that, it, um, never thought that this would, you know, be happening in our family, but it is. And so we're going to do our best to, you yeah. know, take care of our, our loved one. So, and it is something that is manageable. Um, it just, you know, takes the right set of circumstances to get her to accept the help that she needs. So in the, in the moment where yeah. she will be agreeable and willing to do it. Right. But then, yeah. But then even after that, I mean, it's going to be like forever, like yeah. she's going to have to be committed to this forever. And, you know, there are some times where she feels fine and then she might not take, I mean, I'm not a doctor at all. So just hypothetically okay. say, she was supposed to take a certain kind of medication and then one day she would feel fine. So she might not take it. Then we could be going down this whole road again and again. So it's going to take yeah. a lot of accountability and a lot of dedication for everybody, you know, yeah. our mean, family at least to keep on top of her. And, Cause I mean, I, I take a Ritalin prescription and I forget to take it in the morning <laughs> and then halfway through my day, I'm just, wandering around doing nothing for hours and then and then i'm like oh i forgot oh, i need man. to take this or uh well and that's the thing is I, i've tried adderall i've tried bivance and they're so powerful mm -hmm. that if i take them they put me back into bed oh wow so yeah. i'm i'm on a very low dose of ritalin because they actually knock me out. I know. Amphetamines put me down. <laughs> but wow. it's the uh, brain is such a mysterious organ, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. 10 to 15 milligrams a day. And I take it in five milligram increments. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's a game changer for yeah. me. Yeah. Well, I'm glad that you found like whatever's working. Um, yeah. So it takes a long time and it takes like now even more than previously. Like you have to have like a really good relationship with your, your doctor or psychiatrist because they're monitored so heavily now. So it, it took me two or three psychiatrists and over the course of two years. Yeah. During that time, I pretty much self-diagnosed and figured out I have terrible ADHD that has reared its ugly head now. And that I probably had it all my life, but I was managing it. Uh, but I swear, like one doctor, one psychiatrist was saying, oh, you have depression and you have anxiety. Yeah. And like, wow, doesn't that make your job easy to just throw out the two most common things like the umbrellas? And so the funny thing was I was trying to install this smart door lock on my front door, you know, one of the key button things. And um I got really frustrated while I was trying to install this lock and I got pissed because ADHD, emotional deregulation. Yeah. I threw the lock across the room. <laughs> I left it off my door all night long and slept like a baby. Doesn't sound <laughs> like I have anxiety, does it? <laughs> no. no, I know it, it is like such a, whenever like a doctor says to you something, where you feel like they finally get it. Isn't that the best feeling where yeah. I was telling my doctor 
something about how like whenever I got in college, like I just didn't really like going to class and suddenly like it, you know, it's just like not interesting to me anymore. And she's like, well, maybe that's because you had ADHD. And I was like, yes, maybe it is. Thank you. Nobody's ever said that to me before, yeah. but that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Um, the one thing about ADHD that finally made me realize I had it, it, it wasn't the inattentiveness. It wasn't the, what I call the, the spiraling where I'm just yeah. kind of doing nothing, walking into a room to wash my hands, realizing there's no soap and then going to get soap, realizing I don't need soap. So I need to go to the store. But before I go yeah. to the store, I, you know, it's like, not that. Then forgetting that you ever yeah. were washing your hands in the first place. Right. Yeah. Um, it was the rejection sensitivity dysphoria. Interesting. Tell me more about that. So rejection sensitivity dysphoria is when you get a criticism or when somebody says something to you, you completely and utterly can misconstrue it, amplify it, react to it in a very just extreme manner. Uh, and of course, the emotional deregulation goes hand in hand with that because somebody says something to you, yeah. regardless of I, I think I'm good enough that I can take tone. I know when someone's trying to be nice or be mean, you know, intentionally, but uh, it's just, you're always feeling guilty or beating yeah. yourself up or taking yeah. everything to heart Yeah, that you shouldn't be. Yeah. I mean, I get it, it yesterday. <laughs> so I was on a, on a Zoom meeting with my boss and this prospective client and I said something that immediately my boss like messaged me. He was like, don't ever say that. I mean, blue for the rest of the day. And even now I'm like trying to keep it out of my mind because, you know, it was a, mis a mistake, but it wasn't anything that like killed yeah. the conversation. Like didn't, nobody's going to like suffer from like this little comment that I made, but it was, yeah. But now you're ruminating on your boss oh, yeah. telling and you. I, yeah. <laughs> and like 10, 15 years from now, I will wake up in the middle of the night and think about this time that I did that. And yeah. Yeah. That's rejection sensitivity dysphoria. <laughs> no, I mean, and, and it comes in all forms, you know, and, and uh, the Ritalin helps the most with that and my emotional deregulation. It doesn't actually help really at all with my focus or my attentiveness. Hmm. People usually take Prozac or take a mood stabilizer, whereas yeah. I take Ritalin, which has the effect of a mood stabilizer for me. Hmm. Yeah. Um, and then when you come into the realm of schizophrenia or delusion, you know, yeah. it's you you have different things. I mean, typically when it gets so bad, lithium is usually the, the end all be all, but Seroquel can snap somebody out of it and you know, kind of put them to sleep for a day usually. Uh, right. um, yeah. There's like a, I think there's even like an injectable drug. I can't remember what it's called. Um, I have a friend who's a doctor and, mm -hmm. you know, it's a powerful antipsychotic that would mm -hmm. take her out of the delusion, but then it's not like a long-term solution. It's just something to break the current psychosis type yeah. of situation. So. Very temporary. Yeah. 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 And, and it's not addressing like the core issue. Um, so the psychologist that I talked to about my sister, she said, she was wondering, you know, if there was any kind of trauma, like, and she's the one that also said that maybe my sister should see a um, neurologist to do a brain scan because there are so like many things that could be causing this disorder and nobody knows what it is. It's possible that we might not ever know, but 
by doing, mm -hmm. you know, some research, it's possible that we might know a little bit more that my sister might know a little bit more. Yeah. I mean, a brain injury, if she hit her head or, yeah, I mean, I mean, I mean, if you Google anything, it's always cancer, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't think, I don't think she has cancer, but I mean, hopefully not. Or if she does have cancer, hopefully it's curable. And then maybe, you know, her life will be better once she gets rid of it. I don't really know what the answer is. I mean, I don't know what's better or worse. Like if it was cancer and it was curable and once it got addressed, then she could go on to live, you know, like a normal and healthy yeah. life. That'd be great. But yeah, I guess if anyone's listening and they've been through this or are going through this, I would love to hear if they have any suggestions, if they have any uh, things that worked for them, although every situation is very different, I know. Um, yeah, I would love to hear that too. Um, yeah, it's it's a unique situation. And if anybody has any advice or even if they just want to, um, you know, share their story, I would love to hear it. It's, yeah, it's hard because, yeah, even just to describe it, it's difficult. I had to tell my boss um, because I had to, you know, leave work for a few days and I had to tell him kind of what was going on and just describing to him, you know, the situation. It was, you know, I mean, it is weird and it's okay for it to be weird, but he was understanding and everybody is supportive and, but yeah, it's, it's rare, but it's, it's also common at the same time, <laughs> I guess. It's weird in the way of, you know, this is why we talk about it is to try to make it a little less weird. So when yeah. somebody is struggling, we can get help. <laughs> That's the whole point, yeah, right? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I really appreciate you having this platform for us to discuss our weirdnesses together. <laughs> <laughs> but before I hit stop, was there anything else you wanted to get across before I stopped the recording? Um, I think yeah. really like the point is, I guess for me, I'm like, I've enjoyed talking to you and I hope that this is beneficial for other people. Thank you, Carla, for sharing. If anyone wants to write in, uh, tell me about their situation or, or possibly what they could do to help a family member, please write to the peripheral podcast at gmail.com or find me out on social media. Thank you. <laughs>